From the years 1500 to 1800, an estimated 2 million sailors on exploring expeditions died from a mysterious disease that they knew only as scurvy. Captain James Cook was an 18th century British explorer who experimented with different solutions to this awful disease. The one that worked best was eating lots and lots and lots of sauerkraut. Does anybody love sauerkraut? We've got some people here who love sauerkraut. The disease itself was actually just a deficiency of vitamin C. They didn't know that, and sauerkraut is apparently rich in vitamin C. The problem was he couldn't get his sailors to eat the sauerkraut because they didn't like it. And so on one of his expeditions, he tried something that worked. He served it only to the officers on the ship. At mealtime, he would serve it up to their table only. The rest of the sailors saw this delicacy that was only being served to the officers, and they were jealous, and they wanted some, so they begged him for it, and they ate it up when he gave it to them. Now, I don't know how true this story is, but I came across this story in an article in Psychology Today, and the whole article was about why do humans want what they see other people have. This is a phenomenon that they've observed in the animal kingdom. They've observed it in monkeys especially. And it's pretty easily, easily observed in my own house or any house that has children in it, when you give them a one-of-a-kind toy, even if it's something that the others didn't want before, if one person starts enjoying it, they all want it. It happens to us adults, too. We hide it and conceal it better. Uh, it's actually a chemical our brains releases when we see something and see somebody else enjoying something that we don't have. It's a normal thing that all humans experience it. In fact, it's what basic advertising is built on. Even if we know it's happening, if they can show us somebody enjoying something that we don't have, we want it. Our scripture this morning is a story in 1 Samuel chapter 8 verses 4 through 20, and we're going to wait just a minute before we read it. We're going to read it in pieces. Uh, before we get to that, I just want to say that in the story of God's people, God chose one person to begin a new type of people, a whole new type of people. Through Abraham, God created a nation that would be different than the other nations around it. His people were not to be like everyone else. They were to be holy or set apart. As Charlie told the children this morning... God wanted them to be different. After rescuing them from the Egyptians, 
God begins to establish just how different they were supposed to be. He begins to establish what that should look like as they live together as this new nation. So as they arrive at Mount Sinai, God says to Moses, Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom or a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a nation set apart from other nations. The next several chapters of Exodus outlines God's rules, God's laws for holy living, what it should look like for Israel to live as a nation set apart from the nations around them. The whole idea here is that Israel will be a new kind of nation, one that lives with God as their ruler. God is the one who delivers laws. God is the one who pronounces judgments. Moses and the prophets that follow after him is simply a spokesperson for God to the people. This is at the core of Israel's national identity. This is who they are as a people. Instead of kings, they're governed by God through his prophets. At times, this goes really well. When the people listen to the prophets and when the prophets listen to God, they end up thriving and even having some military success. One example, in Judges chapter 7, Israel is headed to battle against the Midianites. And God uses Gideon to defeat Israel's enemy in this amazing victory. And after it's over, the people are so happy with Gideon that they come to him and say, Gideon, that was awesome. Be our king. Rule over us. You and your son after you. Be this dynasty. But Gideon responds and says, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Gideon reminded the people of their identity as the people of God set apart to be different than the nations around them. And so now, now let's look at the uh, main scripture focus for this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 8. I encourage you to follow along. We'll have the words on the screen. But I encourage you to use the pew Bibles that are now newly back in the pews this week. They're not just there as decoration. You may open them. The story we're looking at is on page 311. So you have no excuse now not to, to turn to it. Sometimes it's helpful to see the context around a verse, so sometimes the screen isn't enough. Page 311, 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting with verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. 
Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. This nation that is set apart for holy living, which has been governed by God through his prophets, is now once again turning from that identity as God's holy nation. When the elders of Israel come and ask him for a king, it's easy to see why Samuel is so displeased. Let's take a closer look at the actual request that the elders of Israel make. They preface their request with two things. First, they say to Samuel, You are old. Isn't that just a rude thing to say? The Israelites are not just being rude. They're expressing a very real fear they have that Samuel will not be around much longer. Their desire for a king is not because Samuel's not doing a good job of leading them, but that he's not going to be there to continue doing that. Because then they say, and your sons do not follow in your ways. The verses right before where we started here tell us a story that, that uh, Samuel has made his, his sons, Joel and Aviah, judges over Israel. Now, they're judges in a remote city in Israel. They don't have a lot of power. But we're told that they're not doing a very good job. The word judge here, when they're appointed as judges, it's the same word that is used later in this chapter. Um, it's translated as govern. It's also the same root word that means justice. So a judge is simply a person who seeks justice for the people he is governing. However, Samuel's sons, who had been appointed by Samuel as judges in this remote city on the outskirts of the kingdom, they were not seeking justice for the people. In fact, we're told that instead, they turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Even though the two sons did not have much power over the kingdom as a whole, yet the elders of Israel are fearful that after Samuel dies, Joel and Aviah will be the ones to step up with their corrupted forms of justice. So after pointing these two things out, that Samuel is old and his sons are corrupt, they then say, appoint for us a king to govern us. And yes, that word govern is the same word as judge above. They want to replace the role of the prophets with kings. But next, the elders betray their true motives. They aren't simply asking for a king because Samuel is old and his sons are corrupt. They're asking for a king because they want to be like other nations. The kingdom of God, the kingdom that God has established from Abraham on as a nation set apart, now desires just to be like everyone else. They've seen other nations have kings and now they want what they have seen that others have. 
Let's read scene two of this story. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Samuel was displeased. Looking back, his displeasure wasn't simply because they called him old, although I'm sure he didn't love that part. It wasn't because they called out his sons, although I'm sure that part really hurt. He was displeased because they wanted to be just like everyone else. So Samuel did what the people of God do when they are displeased. When they don't know what to do. When they're concerned for people they love. When they need guidance and wisdom. We're told that Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord's answer, though, is a little bit surprising. Charlie came up with a a great analogy for us earlier in the service. It's a little bit surprising. He essentially tells Samuel to give them what they have asked for. The Lord confirms that this request is actually a rejection of himself as their ruler, their judge, their king. They're not only asking to replace Samuel and the prophets with a king, but to replace the ruler, to replace the Lord as their ruler. So God tells Samuel to listen to their request, but with a condition. In verse 9, the Lord says, Now then, listen to their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. The ways of the king. The ways of the king. This again is that same word earlier translated as judge or govern. Literally, this would just be translated something like the way a king will govern you. The Lord is essentially saying, give them what they want, but warn them of the consequences. The next scene is Samuel reporting back to the people, delivering this warning. As we read this part of the story, I want you to follow along closely and look for something specific. I want you to look for a verb that gets repeated throughout. It kind of shows us the theme of what this king will do. This verb appears six times in these nine verses. See if you can point it out. I'm going to ask you afterwards if you found it. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. 
and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipments of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be performers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give them to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Who heard it? What's the verb that's repeated most in that section? What will the king do? The king will take and take and take. Here's a list of what the king will take. He will take your sons and your daughters and the best of your fields, vineyards, and olive orchards. He will take one-tenth of your grain and vineyards. He will take their male and female servants. He will take the best cattle and donkeys. And he will take one-tenth of their flocks. The king will take and take and take. And then at the conclusion of this warning, Samuel finally simply says, and you shall be his slaves. He will take your freedom. And yet, after all that taking and taking, the concluding scene of this story shows a stubborn people who have made up their mind. Verse 19 and 20. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us so that we also may be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. And I'll remind you what we started with today by saying this behavior, this is normal. It's normal for humans to desire what they see others have. But the thing is, God has called them to live differently. God has called His people to live differently. God has always called His people to live differently. And He continues to do that today. See, there are many things that separate us from the ancient Israelites. Time. We're separated by a few thousand years. Location. We live in a very different part of the world. Culture. Our societies have vastly different contexts. National identity. I love America. We are not a chosen nation set apart to be governed by prophets the way Israel was. But as the church, as the church, we have something in common with the people who came to Samuel all those years ago and demanded to be like everyone else. As a church, we have also been called to holy living. We have been called to live lives set apart from the way the world around us lives. 
Instead of following our own desires to seek what others have, we are called to be disciples of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. See, Israel wanted a king. And Samuel warned them that this king would take and take and take. But we get to serve a God who is our king, who continues to give and give and give out of his abundance of grace and mercy. As we come to the table of Holy Communion this morning, we come receiving a God. We come receiving a ruler who is giving of himself to us. We come remembering that Jesus gave everything, laying down his very life. We're taking that act upon ourselves as a community of Christ followers. As we come, we are saying that we will not live the way the world lives. Instead, we will be different. We will be ruled, governed, and judged by Christ alone. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that we can hear these stories from the Old Testament that show us how to live even within the new covenant that we live out our lives and our mission in. God, you have called us to holy living. Just as the Israelites forgot that from time to time and needed reminders. Lord, we too forget. And Lord, sometimes we too betray our identity as people called to be holy, as people called to be set apart. As we come to the table this morning, remind us of the identity that you have given us as your children and call us once again into holy living. In Jesus' name. Amen.